I want to try to tie this all together. Put it into some succinct thoughts that we can renew our mind with. Because Romans 12 says we become transformed by the renewing of our mind. Several years ago, I was teaching through the Gospel of John, working my way through chapter 7. And I had, I'm goosebumping, an amazing encounter with God. So I want to share that with you tonight. So would you open your Bibles to John chapter 7? Would it be all right if I ask you to stand? And have a posture of receiving? Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to open your word, your love letter to us, your mind, about what you desire for us. So, Father, we don't want to miss it. So we pray that your spirit will capture our hearts and open our minds to think the way you think. So that, Father, in that renewing of our mind, our experience can be transformed. We don't want to settle for just knowing about you. We want to experience you. So, Father, be the teacher, we pray. And be the student for each and every heart here. That we all might learn what it is you want us to know. So we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 7, let's get a little general background. By this time in his ministry, Jesus has called his 12 disciples... He has worked many miracles. He has gained great popularity. The crowds are following him. That really ticked off the religious establishment, the scribes and Pharisees. And so by this time, according to John chapter 7 verse 1, they are now seeking to kill him. If you look at verse 3, we find... In verse 2, in fact, that this is now a time period of the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is the most popular of all the Jewish holy days. This is the day, Tabernacles is another word for tents. It commemorated God's provision to the children of Israel during their wilderness wanderings when they lived in tents. And you remember how God provided manna, bread, for daily food. He provided meat. He provided water. And so this was a great festival. Um, They called it, in fact, the Jewish camping festival. Here we go. Am I going too fast? I am. There we go. They called it the Jewish camping festival. It was a week-long celebration where people all came to Jerusalem, pitched tents, Hmm, Kind of like what's going on here. It was like a giant tailgate party. And it was a fun time. They held it at the end of the harvest. So enter into that. The work is done. And it's time to celebrate. And it's a time of thanksgiving. They thanked God for past provision. 
when they wandered in the wilderness. They thanked God for the present provision they were now enjoying. And they looked forward in hope and thanksgiving for the future provision of God. Wonderful. So do we all have the general background of John 7? All right, let's move to the specific context that we want to look at tonight. It's verse 37. Notice in verse 37, it is the last day of the feast. So it's the seventh and final day. Look how he describes it. He calls it that great day of the feast. This is the time of the feast when they would turn their attention to the specific provision of God in providing water when they were in the desert. Now remember in Exodus 17, God told Moses to strike the rock and water would come out of the rock. Later in the book of Numbers, they're murmuring for water again. Moses gets a little upset and this time he strikes the rock with a stick. But God never told him to do that. God told him to speak to the rock. You say, what was going on there? Let me explain. We'll take a little rabbit trail, but it's not really a rabbit trail because it's going to tie in very importantly to the context. There are two Greek words for miracle. One of the words is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get what? Dynamite. This is the word that's used in Ephesians chapter 1. When the apostle Paul prays that you and I would know The exceedingly abundant power, dynamite, that is inside of us. The very same dunamis, dynamite, that raised Jesus from the dead. Wonderful. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of every one of us. Now, what's the problem with dynamite? There is a wow factor to it, right? Boom. Wow, it's, it's fireworks. You had fireworks a couple days ago for Canada Day? Yeah, that's kind of the idea. Dunamis always has the effect of wow. Let's say wow. wow. All right, not the word that the Apostle John uses. He will use the word miracle throughout the Gospel of John, but he will use a very different word, semeon. Simeon is not wow. Simeon could actually be translated sign. Now let's think about that. Sign. Tell me about a sign. A sign points to a greater reality than the sign itself. How many of you are parents? How many of you have ever been on vacation with your kids? You're driving down the road. Everybody starts to get a little hungry. And there it is. The dreaded McDonald's sign. You pray that the children will not see it. But they see it. Oh, Father. Could we go to McDonald's? And because you love them with unconditional love, you say, no, we're going to the steakhouse. No, you love the kids with unconditional love, you pull into the McDonald's parking lot. Your kids are very excited. They, you open the door and they run out. And they run to the sign. Oh, what a wonderful sign. If your kids did that, you've got stupid kids. 
the sign points to a greater reality. The restaurant. That's the word John uses. So why did God, by the way, this answers for us, why God got so mad at Moses. Because when the, the striking of the rock issue, God was giving a sign. God was painting a picture. He said, strike the rock the first time. But the second time you don't strike the rock, you just speak to the rock. Are you starting to track? Who's known as the rock? Jesus. Did he get struck? Yes. How many times was he struck? One time, cross. After cross, what? It's spoken, life. God was painting a picture and Moses messed with his picture. Don't mess with my picture, son. So much so you don't get to go to the promised land. You understand? Sign. This is the issue that we're talking about. So let's go into John chapter 7, verse 39, 37. And it's the final day. Now, let me tell you what would happen on that final day. All of the Jews would come out of their tents. They'd assemble in the city. There was this solemn ceremony of the living water that God provided in the desert. The high priest would come out at the appropriate moment carrying a pitcher of water. And the masses would grow very, very quiet. And then after prayer and praise to God, the high priest would pour the water out. Commemorating the events of the past. The miracles of the past. The provision of water in the desert in the past. But not a miracle, a what? Sign. There is a greater reality here that must be seen. Don't get enamored with the sign. Let the sign point to the greater reality. So just as the high priest is pouring out the water, In their nice little religious ceremony, Jesus ruined the celebration. And he cried out, if any man thirst. And where'd all the attention go? It went from the high priest. It went from the commemoration of water in the past. And all the focus now turned and looked over at Jesus. And what did he say? If any man thirst, come to me and drink. I want you to notice this very, we're going to go very quickly here. I forgot to do this. So in the desert, water is an absolute necessity to survive, is it not? If you don't have water, you have no life. In essence, Jesus is saying right now, if you don't have me, you don't have life. I am the reality that your ritual is pointing to. That sign had a greater reality, and it's me. Now, let's start to think about this for a little bit, my friends, and look at the scope of this statement that Jesus made. 
anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Nor does it matter who you did it with. Any man. Any woman. Any time. If they're thirsty. They can come to Jesus. And he will quench their thirst. So I'm in my study. And I'm wrestling with this. And I come to John 7, 37. If any man thirsts, let him come to me. And so I'm writing my notes. And I said, if any man thirsts after righteousness. And the Holy Spirit screamed into my mind. That's not what it says. So I looked. Well, my goodness, the Holy Spirit's right. (laughs) It doesn't say if any man thirsts after righteousness. Now it says that in Matthew chapter 5. But it doesn't say it in John chapter 7. Well, that would qualify, wouldn't it, Holy Spirit, that if a man thirsts after righteousness? Certainly that'll qualify. But that got me thinking. Sometimes, as a human being, I thirst for things that are not necessarily righteous. Right? Oh, yeah. You're shaking your head. Would you like to come and share some testimony? (laughs) We thirst for things like significance. And security and acceptance. Well, Holy Spirit, would would that qualify? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, what does it say, son? It says, if any man thirst, period. Well, you know what that did? That promoted a real honesty in me between me and God. Because you know what? Sometimes I thirst for things that are downright unrighteous. Right? Right? Oh, don't look so smug. So do you. You get tempted too. I thirst for things that are sometimes sinful. We, as a people, might thirst for exaggeration and lie so that we can sound better than we are. We, we can thirst for for money, we can thirst for illicit sex and lust. We can thirst for alcohol and drugs. And so I said, Father, does, does that qualify? And he said, what does it say, son? It says, if any man thirst. Now let's think about that for a moment. What do most Christians do with thirsts for unrighteous things? In fact, let's think about what does the church tell us to do about thirsting for unrighteous things? They say, don't do it. Right? They say, no. Well, let's think about this. What did Jesus call them? Thirsts. So if we at best suppress them, or at worst deny they even exist, but they are called thirsts, what's going to happen to us? We're going to get thirstier. So do you realize what this is really saying? Hear me on this, young people. You got a lot of life ahead of you. Don't ever say no to temptation. Oh, I see the looks. (laughs) Don't ever say no to temptation. For one, we already saw in Romans chapter 7, when you say no to something, the power of sin is going to stir it up all the more. Remember, don't look at the back wall. Remember that? 
Don't ever say no to the temptation. Why? Because think about this with me. Jesus calls them thirsts. And if you say no to a thirst, what happens when you suppress or deny a thirst? You're going to be miserable and thirstier. What's wrong with you? I'm a Christian. I'm thirsting for some things, but I can't have them. You want to become a Christian too? And then you know what's eventually going to happen? You're going to become so miserable over the thirst, you'll eventually act on it and drink from the wrong well. And then you'll feel even worse. Don't ever, ever suppress a thirst. The nature of a thirst is that it cannot be suppressed. It cannot be denied. That will only make you thirstier. The only way to to eradicate a thirst is to quench the thirst, which is what Jesus offers to do. If you have a pen, you might want to circle these words in your Bible. Look at those words, thirst, come, and drink. They're all in the present tense. So Jesus is saying to every one of us, as long as you live on this planet, you're going to be thirsty. (laughs) So keep coming to me and keep drinking from me because I'll satisfy those thirsts. So don't ever say no to temptation, dear people. Say yes to Jesus. Do you see the incredible power of this statement? I hope you do. Jesus wants to satisfy any thirst you have because what you're really thirsting for is him. So let's think about this. When we thirst for money, what are we really thirsting for? That shouldn't be a hard question. I put it up there for you. Yeah, we're thirsting for security. When we thirst for sex, what are we really thirsting for? Intimacy? Excitement, acceptance, pleasure? Can Jesus give us intimacy and pleasure and joy? Absolutely. When we thirst for fame, to be be seen by the crowd, what are we really thirsting for? Significance. Can Jesus give us significance? You can't get any more significant than being child of the king of the kings. Ponder this. You remember Psalm 42? The psalmist writes, as the deer pants for the water, Lord, so my soul pants for you. Really? 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 Let's get the picture. This is a deer. He's being, maybe being chased by a, by a mountain lion or a wolf. He's run through the desert. He's escaped the wolf. His chest is pounding. His, he's panting for water. If I don't get water, I'm going to die. Now, let me ask you, Christian, do you really thirst for God like that? Yes, you do. You just don't recognize it. You and I think we're thirsting for other things. But what we're really thirsting for is him. And we know that because he can satisfy, as he claims, any thirst we have. You see, in the Garden of Eden, I want to put it this way. All Adam knew was God. He lived God. He breathed God. He was like a fish in water. All that fish knows is water. Now, how many of you ever gone fishing? 
You catch the fish, you pull the fish up onto dry land. What's the fish do? <laughs> you see, there are a lot of words that theologians call the sin of man in the Garden of Eden. We like to call it the fall of man. I, just, I don't like that term. It makes it sound like he tripped. I think a better definition might be the, the Declaration of Independence. Where he said, I'm going to do it on my own, God, and I don't need you. Or the Great Rebellion. My favorite term of all is the Great Gasp. Because all Adam knew was God. He was like that fish that all that fish knows is water. And just like when that fish got pulled out of the water and it went, ah. Oh, man in that sin went, ah. Oh. And every man and every woman has been gasping ever since for the life of God. But substituting it with cheap imitations. Jesus said, if any man thirst, any thirst we have, come to him. And he will satisfy it. Do you remember what happened at the crucifixion? The veil tore. The veil tore, the veil in the Holy of Holies tore when there was the great earthquake. Now, think about that. What was the veil all about? It kept all of humanity away from the presence of God because the presence of God was too holy for sinful man. The only one who could ever go behind the veil was the high priest once a year. And he went with blood and he went with unconfessed sin. Excuse me, with confessed sin. Now, by the way, when the high priest went behind the veil, he, they tied a rope around him. And they had little jingle bells on him. Why? Because as long as they heard the jingle bells, they knew he was alive. <laughs> But if he went in there with sin in his life, then he would fall dead. They would have a rope to pull him out because nobody's going in after him. That veil got torn with the offering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so finally, we now have access to God. That's not good enough. In an earthquake, think with me, What's happening? The ground is shaking. Should not that veil have torn from the bottom up? But when you read the Bible, it says that the veil tore from the top down. May I suggest to you that in my heart of hearts, my conviction is that earthquake didn't tear that veil, gang. My father and your father ripped that veil from top to bottom and said, finally, I now have access to them. To be all that I've always wanted to be to them. To satisfy every thirst they have. But I couldn't because we were separated by sin. And so do you thirst? Are you lusting? You're not really lusting that girl. 
You're thirsting for Jesus. You just don't recognize it. You, you're a workaholic trying to make all the money. You're not thirsting for that money. You're thirsting for security. And Jesus can give you that. I need to illustrate it. I need to put it together. So, so can I do that? I'll do it as a male. Because that's all I know. I'm not very good at female. So here I am. And I'm speaking on a college campus. And it's the middle of summer. In South Louisiana. So it's very hot and very humid. So what happens to clothing on girls in the middle of summer like that? It disappears. disappears. There's a reason you're in the front row there, brother. (laughs) So I'm walking across the campus, minding my own business, loving God. And here she comes in the slinky little halter top. Now the enemy... Please understand this, says, man, I'd like to have that. Do you know that that thought did not come from me? Why do I say that? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, I have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ does not say, man, I'd like to have that. That is an outside voice called the enemy. But what he does, he is so sneaky. If he used second person singular and said, Frank, wouldn't you like to have that? I would know that's an outside voice. But instead, he comes to me in first person singular in a Frank Friedman voice and says, man, I'd like to have that to dupe me into thinking that's my thought. Make sense? Now, If I'm the average Christian, I have been taught, say, no. I am not going to look at that. 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 I am not going to. Oh, my goodness. That's how the power of sin works in us. You need to be aware of it. So when it comes, you'll identify it. This is how you do it. Oh, Lord, it's such a great day. Oh, my goodness, look at that. Wouldn't you like to have that? Father, I'm thirsting. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) See how it works? That's how you do it. Because I'm not really thirsting for that. Any thirst I have is really a thirst for Jesus. I just don't realize it. Make sense? All right, let me do the best I can to do it female. I don't understand women. Nobody understands women. (laughs) Women don't understand women. Now, lest you get mad, I didn't hear that. This is a part of your created makeup. When God made man, he made him in the masculine image of God. He made him strong. He made him a warrior. But when he made the woman, he made him in the feminine image of God. Did you know there is a feminine image of God? He said that he is tender like a nursing mother. Have you ever heard the Hebrew word El Shaddai? Shad is the technical Hebrew word for the female breast. So God says, I am the breasted one. 
What does that mean? Oh, get the word picture. My bride holding those precious little babies. And she was the source of life for those girls and that little boy. She was the tender nurturer. And that is what God says. I'm the tender nurturer. So they're feminine images of God. So when he took the woman, he made her in the feminine image of God. He made her beautiful. And he also made her mysterious. (laughs) I have women coming to my office. I just can't figure myself out. I say, quit trying. You were made with mystery. Embrace the mystery. We love the mystery about you. It's like a challenge. (laughs) So I can't be female, but I will try. So here's how you do it as a woman. You're at the mall. Oh, it's such a great day. Lord, I just love... Choose. Now, you have a hundred pair at home. Your husband does not need you to buy another pair of shoes. But the voice comes in first person singular. Oh, I really have to have that. And you're going to buy the shoes and go home and there's going to be a fight. Here's how you do it. Shoes. Man, I'd like to have that. Father, I'm thirsting. (laughs) I'm thirsting for shoes. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) See how it works? If any man thirst come to me and drink because finally now God can be all that he's ever wanted to be bring your thirst to Jesus and be satisfied isn't that wonderful of our Jesus there's another verse look at verse 38 this will occur look what he adds He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the spirit whom they would believe on him who should receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus says two very important things. If you thirst, come to me. One, I will satisfy your thirst. Two, then out of you shall rivers of living water flow. All right? According to the scriptures. So if it's according to the scriptures, where are we going to find it? In the Old Testament. So I went to the Old Testament and I found these passages that all talked about kind of rivers of living water flowing out of us. So I studied all of them and this is the one I think he's talking about here. But here's the really cool thing. I think it's great. There is no direct quote in the Old Testament. You say, why is that so exciting? Because Jesus paraphrased the scripture. Some of you got it. (laughs) Have you ever had the opportunity, somebody comes in and you go, well, there's this verse that says something like this. And then you feel bad because you don't remember the whole verse. Jesus said, it says something like this in the Old Testament. (laughs) Isn't that cool? (laughs) Man, I'm just thrilled about that. So I think Ezekiel 47 is the one that comes closest to it. So let's go to Ezekiel 47 and show you why. Everybody go to Ezekiel 47. You go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, some of those big books, go to the right. 
If you go to the minor prophets, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, go to the left. Ezekiel 47. All right, here we go. I'll put this up on there to help you. Verse 1. Afterward, he brought me again to the door of the house. Everybody say house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood towards the east. And the waters came down from under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Say what? Altar. So we have a house. And in the house, we have an altar. What's he talking about? A little louder. (laughs) The temple. The holy of holies. The place where God dwells. All right, we're on the same page. Verse 6. Son of man, do you see this? Do we all see it? Yes. All right, go to verse 3. And when the man had brought me out, in his hand went forth eastward. He measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were at my ankle. Again, he measured a thousand cubits. The waters were at my knees. Again, he measured a thousand, and the waters were to my loins. And another thousand, and it was like a river I could not pass. So, every thousand meters or so, the water gets deeper. And this water, according to verse 1, flows east. Why is that so important? Because if you look at verse 8... Excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 8. These waters issue out towards the east and go into the Arabah, the Arabian desert. (laughs) All right, y'all tracking? Verse 9. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives, which moves, wherever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come there. And they shall be healed. And everything shall live wherever the river comes. Verse 7. And at the bank of the river were many trees on both sides. Verse 12. And by the river upon its bank on its side shall grow all trees for fruit. Whose leaves shall not fade. Neither shall its fruit consume. So they're going to bear fruit perpetually every day. 365 days a year. Why? Because those are living waters. You say, okay, Frank, help me. So we're going to help you. We're going to give you a picture. Here we go. There's the the temple. There's an altar, the Holy of Holies, where God dwells, where living waters flow. They go east into the desert. Every thousand yards, the first thousand yards, it's ankle deep. The next thousand yards, it's to my knees. The next thousand, it's to my loins. And the next thousand, it's this huge torrent of water. Now, as this water flows into the desert, what happens? Life begins to spring up. The desert comes alive. Trees sprout up. That bear fruit 365. Son of man. Do you see this? Where does God dwell now? In us. Who are you? You are the temple. 
You are the holy of holies. This is like the burning bush. Do you remember the story of the burning bush? Moses is trucking around the desert. He comes across a bush that's on fire, but it's not on fire. It's burning, but there's no burn. That'll tweak you. So being male, he went to investigate. If he was female, he went ah, went and told all his friends. As he got closer, there was a voice. Who was the voice? It was God. What did he say? Take your shoes off, boy. I'm from the south. Why did he take your shoes off? Holy ground. What made it holy? Presence of God. Where's God now? I should take off my shoes. Because I'm on holy ground. I'm not doing this to be cute. I'm doing it to make you think. Wherever you've put your foot on this planet, you have just made holy ground. And run with this illustration. We live in a desert. God has brought living water into our lives to satisfy every thirst we have. Wonderful. But then he puts this rivers of living water so that as we journey forth into the desert, other people will come in contact with the living water that's in us. And they will find life. And the desert will be transformed. Oh my goodness. Do you know who you are? You affect people's eternity. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Pardon? I think it's 1 Corinthians. Am I wrong? Yes. 2 Corinthians. Thank you. Did it say 2 Corinthians up there? It did. Wrong again. Look at verse 14. And walk slowly with me through this. Thanks be unto God. Who always. Who what? Always. Always Causes us to triumph in Christ. As he manifests the savor of his knowledge. Through us. In every place wherever we go. For we are unto God a sweet aroma of Christ in them that are saved, but also in them that perish. To the one, we are the aroma of death unto death, and to the other, an aroma of life unto life. Say, what's going on there? In the ancient world, when the Roman armies would go to a foreign country, And they would conquer that foreign country. They would come back to the capital of Rome for a victory parade called a triumph. 
God always causes us to triumph. And then this victory parade first would come all of the, the conquered goods, the gold, the silver, the jewels. And all the people would, of course, scream and get excited. And they would line the streets with flowers and with incense so that there was this aroma. Then would come the slaves that had been conquered. And the crowd would get more and more hoopla. Finally would come in the victorious army. And the crowd would roar and cheer. Following the victorious army was the general. Who would hear the accolades of the crowd. And then behind the victorious general came the conquered king and the conquered general. And at the end of the parade, they would be put to death. So to the victors, the incense and the flowers were an aroma of life and victory. To those who were enemies of Rome, the aroma was an aroma of death. And then Paul says this, who is sufficient for this? Who is sufficient for this? That because of the finished work of Christ, not only is every thirst that I ever have satisfied as I look to him in faith, but through me flows the very rivers of living water of his Holy Spirit. And as I journey into this desert world and share his life, some will reject what I bring them. I'm an aroma of death to them. Some will receive the Jesus that I bring. And I function as an aroma of life to them. Either way, I always triumph in him who is sufficient for Oh, Father, oh, Father, I pray that your people would gain a full perspective of what this Christian faith is really all about. It's about finding complete fulfillment. having our thirst completely satisfied so we don't have to run after counterfeit life anymore. But it doesn't stop there. Father, you've given us the opportunity to transform the desert we live in, person by person, as they receive the spirit of life that we've been given. Unleash the life that you've placed in every one of them. That the people that cross their paths will see Jesus. And may they be ready, as Peter says, to always give an answer for why they're so different. You know, I think 
the reason this passage hit me so hard is um, I was raised in an alcoholic home and it was an abusive home. Yeah, I know. And I had things happen to me growing up that are not supposed to happen to little guys. And then I had some girls do some very bad things to me. And in reaction, instead of response, I became a bit of a wild child. There was a girl. Her name was Mindy in college. She was so different. I know now that she had had her thirst satisfied and the rivers of living water were flowing out of her. I didn't know it then, but I said to her, you're you're so different. And she said, I'm a born-again Christian. I said, don't give me that garbage. But I couldn't explain how different she was. And she wouldn't give up on me. One of the elders of her church was a professor of ours in college. He went to Mindy. He said, stay away from that guy. He is not a good guy. And Mindy said, I'm not going to stay away. He's searching. I know now I was thirsty. And she brought me to church. And I heard the gospel. And I received Christ. Mindy lived John 7. Mindy lived Ezekiel 47. And my eternity was changed because she did. Would you stand? I want to do something for you as I, as I depart and leave your presence. My wife is a great teacher. She doesn't teach publicly. She teaches privately. She teaches me. I came home one day and she had this stunned look on her face. And I said, what's going on, baby? She says, I saw the most incredible thing from God's word today, baby. I said, well, share it with me. So she took me to Hebrews 11. Y'all know Hebrews 11? Heroes of the faith. By faith, Joshua knocked down the walls of Jericho. By faith, Noah built an ark, right? By faith, Abraham had the promised child. By faith, Samson. And tucked away in the middle of that chapter, it says, by faith, Isaac blessed his kids. What? (laughs) The Holy Spirit put blessing kids on a par with a worldwide flood. (laughs) The Holy Spirit put knocking down the walls of Jericho and put blessing a kid on a par with that. And guess what? Three verses later, she showed me, by faith, Jacob blessed his kids. God said it twice. (laughs) Why do you think he said it twice? 
so we wouldn't miss it. (laughs) And it hit me. Because it hit her first. She said, Lamb, uh, that's my pet name. (laughs) Because of the way I grew up, I was a really feisty little stinker. And I would fight at the drop of a hat. And when she met me, she said, You're such a little lamb. She saw a gentleness that hadn't been there in years. And I just went, I'm a goner. (laughs) So ever since then, I'm lamb. She said, lamb. And the tears. My daddy never blessed me. And I said, baby, my, my daddy never blessed me. And so that night we got our kids together. And we prayed a blessing over our kids. And as I began to travel, I would ask people, did anyone ever bless you growing up? And it was crazy. Nobody ever blessed their kids. So I want to bless you. (laughs) Can I do the ladies first? Ladies always come first. Take the posture. Receiving. And I'm going to speak, I believe, the way God speaks through his word over you. Hey, little girl. Did you know that you're my princess? Did you know how much I love you? I am so very proud of you. Now, I know, little girl, that you've done some things in your life that maybe you're not very proud of. But, sweetheart, I've taken care of that through my son at the cross. And I, when I look at you, I see nothing but purity. I see righteousness. I see holiness. I see a girl that I'm deeply, deeply in love with. Now you believe me. And you walk according to my love. And trust my spirit to be everything to you. By faith. Let's do the guys. Hello, young man. I'm so proud of you. You are such a warrior. Oh, you may not feel like a warrior, but you are. You are strong because I've made you strong. I've made you right through the cross of my son. I've given you my strength. I've given you my wisdom. And just like my daughter, I know, son, there's some things you've done that you're not very proud of. But know that I've taken care of those at the cross. And when I look at you, please know I don't see those things. I see only my son who pops the buttons on my chest 
because you have grown up just the way I knew you would. And I'm so proud to call you my son. Saints of Alora Christian Fellowship, I bless you in the name of the Most High God of Israel. May you know how much he loves you. May you know that every step you take on this planet is holy ground because he lives inside of you. May you walk confidently on this planet knowing that he will be all that he is to whatever you need as you trust him in the moment of faith. Now to him who is able to make you stand in his presence blameless with great joy to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, can I say one last thing? Did you hear what I just said? Now to him who is able to make you, what? Stand in his presence. Think with me. Throughout the Old Testament, anytime the presence of God showed up, what did a man have to do? Fall on his nose. But in the new covenant economy, we have been made so right that if God were to show up right now, we could stand in his presence. Because we are blameless. And we would stand defiantly against the enemy, would we not? And all of his accusations. But we would stand very humbly because we owe it all to our Jesus. God bless you.